Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 58 with Eric from Maze Esports. We discussed a lot today about the Brazilian market, the passion of the fans, and how it's often forgotten by the rest of the world. To put it into perspective, a lot of these local Brazilian organizations have anywhere from 100 to 400,000 Twitter followers of very, very passionate Portuguese-speaking fans, which is much larger than any other local region that I've really seen and often not paid attention to by any of the world outside of Brazil. We talk about the importance of sales in esports, we talk about the development of the local scene and what companies we think should get into the space, and a few tips for Riot Games and how we think they could follow Epic and activate better on pop culture and their audience. I love this chat. I love every chat I've had so far with someone from Brazil, so I think you should enjoy this too. Enjoy. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today, mate. It's 8pm for you, 9am here for me in Australia, a bit of opposite time zones. How are you today? Yeah, I'm, I'm just fine and very excited and really grateful about the invitation. Thank you. No problem at all. I've found that, and I had this discussion a lot with Shiko before from INTZ in a podcast about the similarities between Brazilian and Australian esports fans. I think that the passion, especially at live events, is is unmatched by any other nation. So it's always good. Yeah, Brazil is like a really big country, and people here love esports so much. Uh, I don't know that much about Australia, uh, but. I really, I really can see that this. I really can see some some things going in the same way, right? Mm. Yeah, and a lot of um, Shiko's comments were about that. Um, he feels that Australian and Brazilian esports is both quite often forgotten by most of the other countries, and we don't always get you know the big events and and big special things happening to us. So when we do get the opportunity, that's why the crowd is so loud and and so happy and engaged. Yeah, I think like we have NA, right? And they has a lot of money, so they they are really good to like build some really good teams and stuff. We have Europe. Europe has some history in esports, mm-hmm. and also they have money and stuff. And we have Asia. We have like China and South Korea. Esports in South Korea are like a real thing since I don't know two thousand. You know, yeah, and yeah, it's crazy there. And so we have like. We have Brazil and Australia, some countries that I really like forgotten, as you said. I, I, I can see that way. People just, people, people just don't, 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 don't see us as a really, how can I say, uh, a really, a really, sorry, I just forgot the, the word strength. That's okay. Yeah, how strong, like a strong uh, region. Strong, sorry. Yeah, yeah a, a really strong region. As yeah. we saw, as you saw the other ones, but on the other hand, like in Brazil, uh, we have so many fans. It's so many fans. It's like it's really crazy. So I don't know. I think mm. all all the world should like look up to Brazil. You know, mm. 
like a really easy a really easy metric for anyone who's listening to to figure out how advanced an esports market is is to just go to one of their leagues say you go to the League of Legends um league look at how many followers that Twitter account has then look yeah. at how many followers the teams have that are playing in it and then again look at how many followers the players have and you can pretty easily spot what's happening there in Brazil, that they're all talking in the native language, so it's not necessarily people from other countries that are following. It's very insular inside the one country. Um, and they've got a lot They've got a lot of followers. You know, it's it's very common to see a lot of your League of Legends players with anywhere up to 30,000 Twitter followers, whereas other countries like Australia, most of our League of Legends players here have like, you know, 5,000 to 7,000. Yeah, I was in the last MSI uh, from Riot Games, so I was talking with some American journalists and I said to him, do you know how much bigger BRTT are, like BRTT is? Uh, he's mm. a player from Brazil. And I just show, uh, I showed the guy how many followers BRTT has. And the guy just, oh, he has like more followers than double it, you know? Yeah, and, wow. and, and I was, yeah, yeah, he's really he, he, he has a lot of followers. So esports is like this in Brazil. People are really passionate about about League of Legends, about Free Fire and other games. And some Counter Strike is like <laughs> Counter Strike is really big in Brazil as well. So mm. the Brazilian players, uh, how, how can I say the, the Brazilian fans? They are really engaged in social media and esports social media. Mm. I think maybe. Some other countries can have more fans, but they don't have the same engagement. Yeah, the Brazil has, you know. Yeah, look, you've got me thinking. We have so we have so much to talk about today, but let's um take a step back and and just ask you first. Can can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your history in gaming and esports and what brought you to where you are today? So uh, I'm Eric from Brazil. <laughs> uh, in 2013. 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I built a website about League of Legends. At the time, it was only about League of Legends. I was a programmer at the time, and I wanted to to study more about web development. And I just built a website and write a little about League of Legends, and some people enjoyed the article. And I keep writing, keep writing. I try to make some video, and people just started to enjoy my content. and. I just, okay, I love creating content. I love this. And I started to create my own company, uh, like a media company. So today we evolved to Mize Sports before we were Law News. Uh, mm-hmm. So we were only about League of Legends. We evolved to Mize Sports. Uh, we have, we have, we have 10 people working with me. So we are ri- writing, creating content. Uh, doing some journalistic work about esports, and mm-hmm. the main thing I've, as I as I see, is we are trying to create uh, a content for the hardcore user, you know, mm-hmm. for the, the the user, the fan that are really hardcore, the fan that he he really wanted to like read a, a big article about his team, or he wanted to to know everything about the. His his rival team, you know. Mm. So in my sports, I think our big difference from the other media companies is we talk the same language as the hardcore fan because I am a hardcore fan. 
you know, so I just tried to create the content that I wanted to see. Yeah, fantastic. And just for the listeners at home as well, we talked about this before we started recording. What what does the company mean in English, the company name? Uh, Mize Esports. Ah, I mean yeah. in English, more esports, like yeah. uh, we want more and yeah, I think that is... I like the, it. The, the contest in Portuguese is way better than in English, <laughs> but mm. I think there is more esports, you know? Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like more esports. And I, I think it's, you know, it's, it goes to the passion that you were saying um, yeah, yeah. for the players and, and for the industries that when, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back like five years ago, right? There wasn't a big tournament on every single weekend. There was kind of maybe once a month, especially back in 2011 when StarCraft 2 was kind of the only real big esport around and, and maybe a bit of Counter-Strike 1.6. You had to wait, yeah. you know, months for an Intel Extreme Masters to happen or something like that, right? And that's what I felt like that whole time. Every, every weekday and every weekend was, give me more. I want more esports. And now yeah. we've got Almost too much. To yeah, yeah. With. we got too much. Yeah. I, I can't watch everything. <laughs> it's, it's so many tournaments. Yeah, and it and I feel um, like as you know, working as a sort of industry analyst, so a little bit similar to you know what what you and your company does as a journalist is. I feel very overwhelmed sometimes because there's just so much esports going on. And you know, when finally when I learnt about Rocket League, then there was Clash Royale, and I had to learn a brand new game again. And then Whoa. there was Fortnite, and I had to learn that again, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's just so much content, so many things happening. How do you, as the leader of a content company, stay up to date yourself so uh i work especially with league of legends and i have other people for another esports so mm. i have another guy who he, which he's a specialist in csgo uh he, he he knows more about csgo than me and he he creates uh so much better content in csgo than that i will be able to to make you know so we try to to work in, in this way. We we get some people that are specialized in one or two games, you know, maybe two big games, maybe one like really big game like Counter Strike. We need like people, a lot of people talking about Counter Strike in Brazil. And for me, I watch only almost only League of Legends. I like to watch CS:GO sometimes, but my main focus are in League of Legends. And, but the thing is, we have like a lot of League of Legends tournaments. We have like mm-hmm. the Korea tournament, the NA tournament, the European tournament, the Chinese, and also the Brazilian. So uh, I talk a lot of, uh, I talk a lot about some tournaments, not only the Brazilian, but I watch a lot, a lot about the Korean tournament and mm-hmm. the Brazilian fans really enjoy it, you know? So I talk about so what what is happening in Korea, what is happening in China, and the Brazilian fans really like it because for them, for most of them, it's really hard to to consume consume uh, to mm-hmm. to get some content in English. Mm-hmm. Like they wanna watch the Korean League of Legends, but other content is in English, you know. So I make Portuguese content about the Korean League of Legends for them. So for me. Uh, I spe- I specialize myself only League of Legends, but I need to choose like what what tournaments I would talk about. You know. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I guess it goes back to your name once again, right? Which is more more esports, and that's what the Brazilian fans want. <laughs> 
And that that brings me into a topic that's happening a lot here in Australia right now is is discussing around content in esports. There's been some new opinions that have happened in the local scene here saying that um you know, teams for a long time have been creating content. They've been creating series about their players and nicely edited videos. But the criticism is that the, the stories aren't being told. So the content is there and it looks artistic and it looks nice, but there's not enough actual stories being told. I'd love to get a download from you as to what you think content is like in the Brazilian market. Is it is it sufficient? Do you think that it's it's serving the fans well or are there things that can be done better? Uh, the content, I think like we... Other Brazilian people who are may, may, uh, creating content, the media companies and stuff, I think we can we can we can get better. You know, uh, we we should like look as an example the traditional sports markets. I think, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we need to do in our own way. You know, so the language is different. Uh, the, how you how, how how you make the content is really different, but we can we, we should try to make the same quality we have in the, the traditional esports. I think mm-hmm. the quality of like traditional esports, like TV shows about uh, I don't know, like TV shows talking about about uh, NFL and stuff. We need to like try to try to achieve the same quality. But we can forget our our language. We can forget how how we communicate with our public. If I was to if I was to follow someone in Brazil to see who's doing the content best, where where should I go? Uh, the best content in Brazil. Yeah. But in esports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like our content from esports. <laughs> <laughs> but Good. we have we have like right from Brazil doing a lot of great stuff. We have some mm-hmm. some teams like INTZ. They they are making some really good content about their own team. You know, Pain Gaming mm-hmm. is another really great brand here in Brazil, and they made so much content with uh, with the team. If you saw the Pain Game YouTube page, uh, they post like almost every day. You know, yeah, well, uh, yeah, they do a lot of content. I really like how they. How they do that as well. Uh, we have another team, uh, Lauch. This team is, they play a different game. I don't know if you know that game called Free Fire. Okay. No, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a mobile game and it's really huge in Brazil. It's just become okay. a fever here in Brazil. So we have the, the team, Lauch, and they have like some, some big YouTubers, some big streamers. And they're doing so much content. So I think and those are really good examples. Uh, also in Brazil, we have the SPN Brazil. I really like how they make content as well. Uh, but they have, I think they have some, they have more difficult to talk to the hardcore followers, like the hardcore fans, like we do, you know, but they are also re- doing a really good work. Like, uh, ESPN, they, they hired some people from the scene to work there, you know? I think this is mm-hmm. really important. If you want to talk about these sports, you need to have journalists who are really passionate about these sports. You mm-hmm. know, I think this is really important. And in Brazil, ESPN uh, did that. 
Yeah, and that's that's another topic that you wanted to talk about and I'd love to discuss is about these traditional um, media companies and agencies that are getting into esports right now. So you mentioned ESPN and, and you said that they're doing uh, quite a good job. What other what other entities are getting into esports in Brazil? Yeah, we also have uh, the Global Group. Uh, they are a really great group, like the the biggest media group in Brazil. They they like control everything, you know. They can like almost choose the next president if they want. It's like that. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm just kidding about this, but uh, they are really big in Brazil. They're really strong, and they are trying to merge. They're investing too much in esports, and this is really important. I think uh, for me, they are like my. They are. How can I say? They are competing with me, right? Mm. But at the same time, it's really good for the environment. Uh, we have like some great, uh, some great companies going and competing with me. It's like it, it's hard for me. I need to compete with a company that worth like billion of dollars. But mm-hmm. it's really good for the whole environment, and it's good for me as well. You know, so I, I really, I, I really like. How the things are going in Brazil. We have also IGN. Do you know? Mm, IGN. IGN. Yeah. yeah, IGN in Brazil. They are like investing a lot. So a lot, uh, another billionaire company <laughs> trying to, to, mm. to invest in a lot in Brazil. So we have like me and those three big sharks, I think, like, uh, SPN, Global Group and IGN. So for me at the, at the start, when those company was like investing so much, I was a little scared, you know, scared. I was a yeah. little afraid. But today, I think I already survived them. Uh, I still, I, I still here, and people still consuming my content. People still loving my content, and I'm I still able to to do my work. And we are growing. We are growing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was really good that they came in. Because they force everyone to to make content with a better quality, you know. Mm. When they, they like ESPN, they just brought like TV quality, like global as well. They they brought like a, a quality that they would use in TV. So this is really important, I think. So at the start, as I said, I was a little afraid, a little afraid. But today, mm-hmm. I, I saw uh, all of this as a really good thing to happen. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, that's most of the smart people in esports I talk to, they give similar responses to that, right? Like they welcome these new companies, these new brands coming into the space. (laughs) Um, You know, if you're an esports team and one of your competing teams gets sponsored by a big brand, you're happy because you know that it's going to bring more attention. It's going to bring more development into the industry. And as long as you can, you know, stay safe yourself and, and keep developing and keep holding on like you have... It, it works out really well for everyone. This is a really important topic. Like you have a team and your rival just got a, a really big company sponsor him. Mm. And you, you should be happy. As you said, you should like, okay, if this company are like looking for esports, there are, there is a, a lot of other companies biggest, biggest this one, you know? So yeah. we just should find them and show them how big esports is. Yeah, the best thing that I find to do is that if, you know, if, if one automotive company gets into esports, say Subaru, is yeah. you just go to all the rest and send them the announcement link and say, hey, what are you doing in this space? Because they're all very competitive. 
And we found that here in Australia with sports, you know, tennis, the Australian Open, they did a big 500,000 Australian dollar fortnight tournament. And every other sport now is saying, oh, wow, we're missing out. We need to do something. So it's amazing that, you know, I can now go to these other sports and say, hey, what what are you doing in esports? And they go, oh, no, we need to do something now. So it's perfect. Yeah. And also this will bring more non-endemic companies, right? Mm, exactly. And this is really important for the whole environment. Exactly. Look, I think uh, if I was to make a guess, I think I would say that you definitely are a journalist because you're leading me into every next question perfectly, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is great. And so I wanted to I wanted to talk about yeah non-endemic sponsors in your region. Obviously, my podcast with Shiko was was off the back of some content that I made on LinkedIn about the importance of sales in esports and how I think it's lacking for a lot of teams. And obviously, INTZ focus um, through Shiko a lot on sales. We talked about um, China in a box has been sponsoring them for many years and and a few other non-endemic companies that they're announcing soon that they're working with. So I wanted to learn from you. Um, what's the what's the adoption been like and, and are there any special trends of these companies coming into the market? Are they coming in faster or slower than you expected? Just give me a bit of a, a download. Uh, I think it's gonna it's going like slowly that I was expecting because mm. if you saw the numbers in esports, it's like it's really huge, you know? You can't yeah. you can't like just ignore esports. But some companies are really more they, they wanna they 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 wanna make more uh how can I say they don't wanna risk risk too much. They they I don't know they, they prefer like to expand expand like million Millions in TV, you know. So, mm. but I think we we are going to to have some change in the next couple of years. We already have some non-endemic companies, non-endemic like really big companies, sponsor some teams, and it's it's how we said before. If a company just sponsor a team, uh, the company they are competing with this company, they 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 should they should do the same, you know. They would mm. try to do the same. They would look for this. Hey, uh, why this? Uh, as I said, why Subaru is uh, sponsoring some esports team? So mm. m- uh, Mercedes should just okay. They are sponsoring some esports team. We should do the same. And Honda and mm. all the other cars company, right? Yeah, and that's so, and that's a major trend we're seeing globally right now, right? Like. Um, mm. You know, Mercedes and BMW were kind of the first, and now there's there's almost everyone. There's Honda, there's Nissan, there's Toyota, there's BMW, yeah. Mercedes. I've I've heard that some other Japanese car manufacturers are coming into the market soon as well. So it it sets the trend. Yeah, in Brazil we don't have one yet, but I think we, if we have like more two years, at least we have some car company sponsoring something. I I think so. And, but mm-hmm. also we have like some really big companies like Coke. Coke mm-hmm. is sponsoring Peng Game. So this is really huge for Brazil. Like Coke is a, is, is a brand that everyone knows, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really huge for Brazil. We, we, so we're having some, 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 some non-endemic brands go into these sports. Uh, the, the important thing that I saw is like some brands, they just, they, I don't know, they just sponsor a team. For like a finals, you know, and yeah, after okay. this, they they just disappear. Uh, yeah. I really hate when the company does that. It's really bad. For that's so that's so <laughs> odd to me. I've I've seen proposals come across my desk too, and and you know, as a sponsor before, I don't know 
if I would ever do that because you can't tell a good story and yeah. you don't really get access to their fans. You're just part of one small chapter and then you're gone. Yeah, and also we saw some examples that a company just sponsored a team and they, they didn't have they didn't make some content with the team, you know? Uh, mm. If you want to like to, you can just sponsor a team and, okay, we are and the team's t-shirt, right? Mm. The team jersey, right? Jersey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are now in the team jersey. Okay, that's awesome. But you, you, need to, you need to make some content with the team. We need to make some content with the the supporters we need to you need to like i don't know maybe do something together working together make some esports content and so the fans will really enjoy your brand you know i think this is really important and i saw some na teams they do this like really well if you saw like uh, cloud9 for example uh, i really like the, their content so we have like some sponsored content for them and i really I really think that this is really important and the brands should like uh, understand that because I can see like some teams talking about this for the brand, right? Mm -hmm. Saying to them, oh, we need to make some content. We can do like this. We can uh, try to make it in uh, a, a video series. I don't know. And the brand, no, no, we just want like to be in the jersey, you know, but uh, I, I think the, the brands needs to... To understand esports, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and that that was a lot of what my discussion has been around. Not only just that, but activating better on your players. We've seen this happen on Twitter recently, where there's been some journalists calling out Counter Strike players for not tweeting enough, especially about what events they're in. It's something that um, Fortnite players do very well, and and I've seen StarCraft players do well too, but. Learning how to, as an as an esports organization, activate yeah. better on your players and getting them involved, not just in the team content, but also streaming when they're free, you know, with company logos and messaging and doing giveaways and turning up to events and, you know, doing things on their own. Because it's a major power of esports that we have over traditional sports in that most traditional sports players don't have a big social media following unless they're a big, you know, Brazilian football player yeah. Or, you know, they're top of the league. A lot of these a lot of these professional players will have five, ten thousand followers online on, on an Instagram or on a Twitter. But if you look at esports, it's digital first. You know, we're all used to Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, etc. So these players should be using their platforms. And I understand that the players are very busy and they also often don't have the knowledge, but that's up to the team to help them out with that. Yeah, I I, I really think that way as well. The, the brands needs to like understand how esports works and try to work together, like really listen to the team, listen to the fans and try yeah. to build some uh, really, I don't know, like uh, a tailor-made content, right? Mm. And we have a, another really good example in Brazil, uh, Gillette, do you know? The shave mm -hmm. brand. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's Gillette, Gillette in English. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It is, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the same, the the company in Brazil they made a reality show with. Oh, okay. Yeah, with I think was ten or twelve players, or no, it was twenty players. Twenty players at the same house, and they <laughs> were like competing with each other like every day, every day, and we have every week an episode, an episode with like two mm. hours, and everyone in esports was watching. 
you know, was really fun to watch. Was really, mm. how can I say, passionate. The, the players, uh, from this reality show, they, they became, they became a little famous, you know, they, they mm. were like, uh, casual players that want to become a pro players in League of Legends. When they okay. left the house, they already were famous, you know, were, were, were really fun. And also the winners, the five winners, uh, mm. get some, get, uh, got, got some contracts with Pen Gaming and INTZ. Yeah, so okay. was some really good content made with Gillette, a really good, um, how can I say that everything was really good for the fans. We were mm. watching a big ad, you know, was an entertainment, yeah. <laughs> but we enjoy it so much. You know, it's like, I wasn't a sponsor for Gillette. But I was talking about this as well, you know? So was everyone in the scene talking about this for free for Gillette? So they really nailed it. Was really, uh, I think was like uh, one of the best examples we had in Brazil. Yeah, and I and I think it, it goes back to what you were saying is it's important to learn about how esports works, right? Because there are so many bad esports reality shows out there. And we, we had one yeah. in Australia that, that wasn't received too well either. Um, so yeah, it's, it's important about getting the right people on board and really understanding. I remember to hear about the red show in Australia, but uh, Mm. I didn't watch it. Yeah. I didn't really either. (laughs) I know about it. I know about it for sure. Yeah. And you know, look what you're saying about, um, companies being slower to enter the market is the same that, that we've gotten on this podcast from everyone, you know, Anne Matthews, the co-founder of Fnatic. Um, same same thing for her, you know, a massive European global team saying that these non-endemic sponsors, which are sponsors that are outside of the normal esports market, have been a lot slower to come in. But we're seeing them, you know, what we call drip feed into the market. They're kind of coming, you know, one by one by one. And every now and then they come in a wave like the automotive companies. And we're hoping that, you know, more waves will happen. My question yeah. for you is what kind of companies do you think are well suited to the industry that aren't currently in? Uh, uh, can you repeat? I didn't understand. So, um, what, what category of companies should be in that aren't, so say we could say, uh, automotive is one category of company, you know, maybe like personal care and hygiene is another category uh, or health okay, foods okay. or even specific company names. Mm, talking Brazil, some kind of companies that I really think, uh, think, uh, they are like missing a lot. Esports are mm. some college, you know? Mm-hmm. Some college that you need to pay for. I don't know how how it works in yeah, Australia, yeah. but in Brazil we have the the both ways. Like we can have a, a public college and ah uh, yeah, private school. Yeah, and a private yep. school. Yeah, uh, I really think private school really should invest a lot uh, in this market because you just got a lot of teenagers. You know, they need to choose their school and stuff, and also some English curse some English schools here in Brazil who teach English. Mm. So I really think that like we have the perfect, uh, the perfect public for them. I think the, I think the private schools one is perfect. I, I, um, did some planning a few years ago about that because here in Australia, the reports are that they're having trouble attracting new kids and, you know, the fees are going up and they can be quite expensive. But imagine if you had an esports class at your school, it's going to make the kids want to go. Yeah, And, you know, the easiest thing for the parent is if the kid actually wants to go to school, then they're going to pay extra money, 
you know, to have yeah. the child get a good education because, you know, if you're able to run high school leagues or have computing rooms or, you know, have, have esports as part of the curriculum, even if it's business, you're teaching them valuable lessons in life, but also you're engaging them. And the argument could be that, you know, my child will waste time playing video games, but you're better off having your child waste 30 minutes a day playing video games at school than waste eight hours skipping Mm -hmm. school to play them at home. And we know that that's the reality because I did it when I was younger and my (laughs) friends did it in in an even worse degree. I I remember distinctly call out my friend, Bradley Marshall. Um, I know you're not listening, so I can call you out. You know, I was I was his best man last year at his wedding, so we still <laughs> we're still friends. But um, he, you know, we had an IT project due it was coming near the end, and where where is he today? He's not at school. You go online to check xfire.com, and you see Bradley Marshall currently playing Battlefield Two, <laughs> and you see that you see that all the time. You know, but if he could play at school, it would be very likely he could turn up. It's just that we couldn't play games at school because they were all locked down. You know, even our lunchtime, we couldn't have fun doing what we wanted to. So, yeah, I. I agree with you 100%. I think that's a yeah. good one. Is there any other any other industries or companies you think that would be a good fit? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think like the, the technology companies uh, are already there. They are already looking forward to esports. Mm. But I can, I can see another example. Maybe it is not so common in Brazil, but... Uh, I know that is 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 becoming really common in Europe uh, about VPN. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like some VPN companies, maybe they should look for that uh, as well because they have like the perfect target. Like mm. some people who really like internet and stuff, then they will uh, they want to take care about their data and stuff. I think uh, I didn't see some people being sponsored for a VPN here in Brazil. Yeah, and two companies I would like to see. I, I talked about this in a LinkedIn live stream yesterday, um, and and one of the viewers brought up one of these, which is water companies. I think would be a pretty good one. I haven't really seen um, oh, water. Yeah, haven't really seen any water companies come in yet into the market. Water bottles, um, and the and the that's the general theme as well of health foods. You know, globally, uh, yeah. Subway is suffering quite a lot. I think esports is a perfect. Um, thing for them to come into, um, yeah, yeah. and you know, plenty of other supplement companies. There's no reason that uh, protein powder companies, you know, to help people in the gym couldn't come in. Um, that you know, healthcare companies, vitamins and things like that too, aren't really in the space yet. And yeah, there are a few companies that I'm trying to target. Uh, INTZ just they just got a new sponsor with uh, uh, a supplement company. Ah, okay. Yeah, they, they they have like some supplements for you 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 improve your concentration, you know. Yeah. Okay. Like new like new tropics. Kind yeah, of like I, brain I, I don't know if if it is a new tropic, but it's, okay. it's something like that, I think. And <laughs> they just got some 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 sponsorship with a company like that, and it's, mm-hmm. it's really new for us as well. And I, I I agree, it's like a really big market. Yeah, and and going back to INTZ and and what you were saying about the Brazilian market, and for those people listening, here's some quick numbers for you. INTZ, Brazilian organization, has 172,000 Twitter followers. Pain Gaming has 400.8 thousand Twitter followers. You know the the red red canids I can see here as well. 126,000 Twitter followers. 
And these are, once again, teams that only talk in your native language, not in English at all. So the majority yeah. of their followers are from the local scene, not from the wider Western market or from China. That's that's crazy. It's crazy numbers. Yeah, uh, BRTT, the Brazilian most uh, known player in Brazil, the, the, the more League of the how can I say, the Brazilian more, most famous League of yeah, Legends most player. Yep. Yeah, he got almost 1 million in Twitter. He had... Yeah, wow. 887k so here we got 1 million <laughs> and yeah wow it's really big yeah yeah and, and like your you know some counter-strike players too right like like the Falling. mibr guys fallen yeah. and, and taco and these kind of people right they they've got yeah if Falling you compare them got 1 million as well <laughs> yeah and if you compare them to people they've played with and against just as long like maybe nothing who's from america you know they've they've got five six times more twitter followers than a lot of these other players do yeah, the, the markets in Brazil are really big. And as I said, I think the Brazilians are really more engaged in social media than the other countries. I don't know mm. why. Maybe we have more time to do that. I don't know. But <laughs> the Brazilian people are really engaged in social media. Passionate, passionate. So, um, I mean, that, that leads us into another question about roadblocks and issues in the market. You know, what, besides maybe non-endemic sponsors being slower to mature than, than you expect and, and want, what other things are stopping the market from growing? What are some problems you're trying to solve or you'd like someone else to help with? Uh, I think like as a lot of the, the other regions, I don't know how it was in Australia for sure, but I, in Brazil, I, I saw the esports just uh, just came for people who were, who has a lot of passion for esports, you know? Mm-hmm. And they just become like uh, team owners. They just become players and coaches and managers and stuff. You know, a lot of people who who just got like the passion and they start like doing stuff in esports in Brazil. But today, uh, passion isn't enough. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to like really to be really pr- professional in your job. So I think this is the transition. We are having right now in Brazil. Uh, so the teams, the they are another companies. Everyone wanted to hire some people. They are really good and some job to do, and not hire some people just because they love League of Legends or because they love Counter Strike. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a big change. Like uh, I receive uh, a lot of people uh, uh, sending emails to me and private messages. As hey Eric, I wanted to work with esports. What should I do? And I answer, mm. okay, but what do you want to do in esports? We have like uh, tons of uh, kinds of careers. You know, mm-hmm. you can go like you, you can be a journalist, you can be a caster, you can be uh, a video editor, right? You can be a designer, you can be a you can be a company owner. You have so many career careers in, in esports, and people just I think like a lot of people who wanted to work with esports, you should you should try to understand uh, what kind of area you want to work in esports, you know. Mm. And then you 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 really need to become a really good professional in this area. It's not enough mm. to like really love a game, you know. Uh, I think mm. this is a big change, and this is also one of the reasons I think maybe some brands didn't uh, didn't haven't uh, investing in esports, you know, maybe some brands they just 
saw saw some people that are really are not so professional in the areas and it's okay maybe are not worth it to invest our money here you know but i think this is changing and this is really important yeah i think um i think when someone asked me you know i want a job in esports it's similar to saying i want a job in cars there's so much you can do you can be a mechanic you could be a race car driver you could work yeah. in marketing for cars um, you know, you could be the engineer that, that makes the best tires for cars to go fast or to get better fuel economy. There's so many different things. And, you know, I, I feel like part of what you're saying as well to expand on is that esports is looking for a wider market of people that aren't just hyper passionate about esports, but people who can casually follow esports and make it more mainstream. Like a lot yeah. of traditional sports have, right? Like you don't have to be – I feel like a lot of the time now, if you want to be an esports fan, you need to be a hardcore esports fan. It's not easy to be a casual fan and to just watch yeah. every now and then because you feel very left out and not welcome and not understanding what's happening. Yeah, Whereas, yeah, yeah. you know, I think you can be a casual fan with many mainstream games. Like I am a casual fan of cricket and a casual fan of rugby league. I don't feel like I'm missing out if I don't watch half a season and then I sit down to watch a few games. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I spoke to some people. People just think that uh, 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 I play all the time, you know, and I, re- I answer like <laughs> uh, every time that, how, how, how can I say, uh, if I, for how, how, how much deep I am in, in the esports indus- industry, Mm. It just make me have less time to play, you know. So yeah. I play really less today than I was playing like five years ago. And <laughs> that's the answer. If you wanted to work with esports, you won't like be playing out of day, you know. It's not like that. Mm. Yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah, and I feel like for me um, that I, I need to make some time to play some games every now and then, you know. Like every few days I need to play. Like Dota 2 is the main game that I play. And I always make sure I have time because it's the new age of gaming where that's the way I hang out with my friends. We don't often catch up in person, even though we live in the same state and we all live within 30 to 30 minutes to an hour drive of each other. We still would rather, you know, at home catch up on Dota 2 and play a few games together and and have fun. And still playing, of course, but I I can't play the much time that I spend as I would like five years ago, you know. Yeah, very true. Yeah, some people always ask me, you know, how how many I, I had a um a meeting yesterday. I'm trying to get this new fitness company into esports who make like bands, like stretching kind of bands that help you with um with stretching and fitness and exercise and they're interested. And I was explaining to them about how much kids play games and saying to them that, you know, when I was um when I was 18 working in my first job, I'd get to my friend's house at 5 p.m. on a Friday with my computer. And then we'd yeah. open Battlefield 2 and then play nonstop until 7 a.m. And then yeah. I'd go to sleep, wake up at 1 p.m. And, and play again till 6 and then drive home and um, set up my computer and play again when I got home. <laughs> yeah, it was the same with me. Like, I played a lot when I was younger. But today I have a company to to run and stuff. I, I can't have the same time, but I still play. I still watching because I love, I love League of Legends. I, I, I didn't, like, lost the lot, you know? But... I don't have the same time to play. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a shame, but it's good at the same time, right? At least you get to work. At least you get to work in what you're passionate about. I mean, what did what did you want to do as a, as a child? Like before before esports, what was your dream job? Uh, I wanted to be a programmer, like yeah. with in tech companies, you know, be mm-hmm. a in, uh, 
and software engineer. Yeah. So I really like it, the, 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 the environment and stuff. I, I really like to, 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 to programming. But today I, I, I can see me doing this way, you know. Uh, it's really hard to imagine myself uh, working in an area outside of sports. Mm. Yeah, I think so too. Like, like for me, you know, I try to explain to people that even within esports, I've had different job goals the whole time. You know, when I was a semi-professional Counter-Strike player, my, my goal was to be, you know, living in Europe or America and being the best team in the world. You know, when I was a commentator, my goal was to mm-hmm. be the best. You know, I was a journalist for a while and I wanted to be one of the best journalists in the world. And, you know, when I worked at Thermaltake and Corsair, I wanted to lead their marketing across the globe. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's okay yeah. to change your goals, but it's always good to have some sort of, you know, long-term goal and you're in it, you're in it to win it, which is a pretty common, common saying here. Yeah. Mm. And for me, like my goal today is to impact, uh, to have the same impact I have in Brazil in esports. I want to have the, this impact like globally, you know? Mm. So this is my goal. I don't know if I'll reach it, but I want to have like a global impact in esports. Yeah, it's a good it's a good goal to have, and <laughs> you've obviously got a good start because it, it just does. Thinking about those Twitter numbers again, like wow, like Brazil really is a, a f- like feels like a forgotten country in esports a lot. It's crazy. You've got local organizations with four hundred thousand Twitter followers. You've got players with eight hundred to nine hundred thousand Twitter followers, and most of this isn't available to you know the rest of the Western market to North America to Europe. They're not speaking the same language. So the, yeah. the passion is, is crazy and it, it's breaking down those barriers where a lot of the time companies come to me in Australia wanting esports and it makes much more sense for them to partner with influencers because of the better digital reach they can provide. But in Brazil, that problem doesn't seem to exist because your players have so much following that they are influencers of their own right. So it gets rid of that problem. Yeah. And I don't know how it works in Australia because I don't know if like some people from U.S., they have influence in Australia, you know, because yes, Brazil yep. is really hard because we don't spoke the same language. So, and mm. it's really hard to, it's not all the Brazilian who speaks English. So most of Brazilian doesn't speak like no English at all. You know, they had like zero English knowledge. Mm. So it's the Brazilian, the, the Brazilians influencers. It's Brazilian, you know. It's people who speaks in uh, who speaks Portuguese. Yeah, and it's and it's big, you know, not even just in um, in esports, but in general YouTube, right? I've I've yeah. seen some reports and some articles about some of the biggest YouTubers in the world are are speaking Portuguese, and and they're based in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. I think like Europe has the same problem, maybe because everyone is in Europe knows English and speaks English, mm. but uh, I don't know how how. How it works, you know. Yeah, and that's as well, and that's common. That's common for us, you know. We do some work with um, some of the big influencers here in Australia who who you know have one to five million YouTube subscribers, and it's very common that they'll have eight percent of their audience from Australia or less a lot of the time. You know, sometimes up to fifteen percent, and and most of their audience, you know, sixty percent in in some cases is from North America alone, and then UK thirteen percent and. You know, the rest of the world, 20, 30%, and then Australia, six to eight. Yeah. It's quite common because we are, you know, we're an English speaking country and a lot of Americans like our accent and like our style of content. 
so you know they consume it and it happens the opposite way too that you know most of my friends they don't they don't watch any australian influencers at all they don't follow the pro scene here they don't follow the streamers because they just follow the ones in america that that speak english oh, okay and also like we you guys have the, the the other way as well like if a guy from australia they become like really huge they can they can reach some people in the us and europe right yeah yeah and maybe they just they can they can he he can just become global right yeah exactly yeah and that happens when they you know a lot of the time they move over there a lot of australian youtubers you know look to move to la and things uh, like that. We we have switched that to be the opposite, which is pretty cool. You know, we've got the Chiefs here. Uh, the Chiefs, sorry. We've got the Misfits here in Melbourne. And, um, you know, they've got creators from New Zealand and from America and, and the UK that, that spend time in um, Melbourne and have, have moved here to Australia because well, they like it here. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, bucking the trend a little bit. <laughs> we'll see okay. how it goes. So the, one of the last topics I wanted to talk to you about is, is um we touched on this before briefly, which was about the importance of sales in esports. Oh, okay. It seems through through the lens of Shiko from INTZ, you know, he's very focused on that. But I'd love to get your opinion on it. Where where does it fall down? Do, is there any major gaps that that you think that people need to work on? And and how do you handle your sales process in a in a small ten man team? Yeah. So uh, for me, uh, uh, talking about sales first, uh, I really see sales as a really important pillar in the company. You know. Pillar, that mm. is this word, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A really important stuff in the the company. The the company really should like put uh, resources because if you don't have like a really good sales team, you want you want sale. You know, uh, for me, sales is about like you you offer like for one hundred companies, you got like nine nine no's and you got mm. one yes. You know. Uh, and yeah. I think this is really important for esports because we don't have like a lot of uh, teams doing uh, really good work with sales mm-hmm. in Brazil, but we have some three teams like Flamengo. Flamengo is a, a traditional esports team. He's one of mm-hmm. the biggest uh, football teams in the world. And also we have like NTZ and Pen Gaming. Uh, I would say that those three they are really doing really well. They are got they they got like. A lot of no no uh, no endemic companies, and it's really important for for the whole environment, you know. And they just got this because they have a really good sales team. So I think this is this is a really one uh, important thing for the environment. And maybe some teams they didn't put the enough effort you know in sales mm-hmm. also yeah. yeah i didn't talk about us sorry yeah yeah <laughs> and also good. for for me my sports was like the same we didn't we, we weren't putting uh, uh enough resource you know it was like only me i was uh answer some emails and stuff mm. but today we have like uh, three people uh working with me in sales so they are helping me. They are doing some things that I'm not really good at. You know, I'm not. I'm not a salesman. So we need a salesman to do sales. You know, uh, my things like uh, I, I like to create content, so I can do the both things. You know, I can be like a really good salesman and creating content at the same time. I can like I can create a content and be like um, thinking about some 
some sales that I want to make and stuff, you know? So for me, uh, we are putting more efforts and sales because uh, I really see like uh, as an important thing for the company and we are getting really, uh, really better results right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and what you're saying is quite common, right? It's, it's hard as a small company owner to justify employing someone just to help with sales, but it's the thing that brings the money in that makes your company successful, right? So if you're not paying that extra money to make the money, then you're setting yourself up for failure. So yeah. you have to take that scary jump and, and make it happen. Yeah, yeah. It's like sales is really important. And people, some people just don't see that way, you know? Uh, and as I said, some people was thinking as I was thinking that I could do the job. But it's, it's yeah. not like this. You need a salesman to do sales, you know? If you're not a salesman, you won't be, you can sell, you know? Mm. And I think for people, like a lot of our listeners are outside of esports that listen to us to gain knowledge on the industry and, you know, to, to address them, they probably think we're stupid right now <laughs> because they're saying, of course, sales are important. Like it's important in every industry. And, yeah. and I would say, and I would say, yes, exactly. And that's why we have to discuss it so much because I don't, I honestly think it is not being taken anywhere seriously enough in esports around the whole globe right now. I've have many examples of, you know, venture capitalists and investors and um, traditional esports companies and non-endemic brands all feeding me the same information that they're getting sent decks that are very poor. They're not worded properly. They're not laid out correctly. They don't say the right things. They don't answer questions um, that, you know, the founder who's raised a lot of capital is not spending the money on hiring a sales team that there's yeah. teams that have facilities and full-time chefs and coaches and not a single person who's dedicated to selling to actually make that company revenue and and hopefully profitable in the future. So I think it's a very important thing that some teams are doing very well. Take like FaZe, for example. They've got a chief revenue officer and a full sales team, and I've had some dealings with them. They're great. But other even tier one organizations, the biggest in the world, are not doing well whatsoever. And I think it's something yeah. very serious that needs to be looked at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, if you, if you, uh, in League of Legends, if you see Riot, Riot Games, they, they didn't have mm. like a lot of uh, sponsors, you know, like uh, mm. the words, the World Championship from Riot yep. Games, like the biggest esports, like the, the, the most, the biggest audience in the esports event. Yeah. It doesn't have like a lot of brands and this is crazy. You know, yeah. Uh, but if you see like uh, the LPL, the the Chinese League of Legends tournament, they had like a lot of brands working with them, like Doritos and like Mercedes mm. and a lot of Nike and a lot of Nike different well, brands. Yeah. yeah, a lot of different brands working and they're doing content. So I think we are getting better. Like, uh, but it's really it's really crazy how esports. Uh, I, I don't know, like the, the the riot thing. I don't know why riot didn't start like selling ads in the esports. You know, before they just start like two years ago. I think right. It's really crazy. 
Yeah, and you get you get similar. I mean, here in Australia, the the local League of Legends um, pro league here, the OPL Oceanic Pro League, yeah. they don't have many sponsors either, and and sometimes it's just due to similar. It's it's um yeah, maybe their KPIs aren't based around that, and they're more focused on internal development, or maybe they're not picking the right partners to sell for them. That's happened yeah. a lot here in Australia. Is that a lot of companies have tried to partner with traditional agencies and offered them a revenue share only model, and the agencies realise that it's a lot harder to sell esports than they. <laughs> originally thought and they don't deliver there's one um a high profile example here in australia who I, I promise not to name names but you know it was a very big um signing and they didn't sign a, a single sponsor for this partnership in two years because it was kind of a forgotten thing for them you know they signed it and they didn't really do much work and that's that's a lot of our pitch here at big esports to these to these teams in you know we have unli- like basically unlimited amount of esports companies coming to us saying, hey, can you sell for us at a commission-only base? <laughs> and I say to them that we we reverse pitch them a retainer model where they pay a small retainer per month, and that can be discounted off any commission that we earn as well. And they usually push yeah. that back. And I say, look, you're wanting to use our IP. You're wanting to use my 12 years of experience in esports. And over that time, I've got 10 years of sponsorship experience, either being sponsored or sponsoring people myself or gaining sponsorships for other people. You want to use that. You want to use my contact book. You also want me to develop your sales process. You need me to develop your content develop and do the graphics design for your deck and what you're selling, educate your team owners on on what they should be doing, and then actually go out and sell. And then the only way I will make money is if your brand is then successful enough for me to sell. You know, I I have no um, issue, I think, in myself in selling. I'm confident that I can, but it's the amount of work I need to do for them for free that they can then steal. And this has happened to me a lot in the past too in the esports market is companies have said either, hey, we want to get into esports or, hey, we want your help in esports getting outside of it. They've worked with us. They've floated a potential contract in front of us, got us to do a lot of the work, the planning, tried and and very important on that word, tried to steal our ideas we've given them and then implemented them very poorly. This has happened so often in esports so far and it, and it needs to stop. And often what I'm saying is you're paying for an uh, internal salesperson at $80,000 a year. You want us to do that for free? Like I don't see why that should be a possibility. Yeah, yeah. I understand this this way. People just, just doesn't put effort in sales. And mm. this is crazy because sales... Is it's, it's it's where your revenue will come, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that's you know that's the upside that's being pushed to investors. And you look at the pie charts and the graphs of esports. That's where most um, you know, that's where most of the revenue is made around the globe for these teams. So. Yeah. yeah, look, taking that more seriously. And that's and this is why you raise capital as a team. You know, this is why you get investors involved is to build yourself for the future. So it's it's always exciting to get the best team and a nice house for them to train in and facilities and a chef, etc. But sometimes you need to do things that are boring. And often the things that you say like aren't sexy are the ones that make money, you know, like investing in stocks and property. That is that is not sexy. You don't want to go to a party and brag and be like, hey, you know, I managed to negotiate down my, my loan from 4% interest to 3.9. Like that's not exciting, but it's a safe way to make money the same way that a lot of the time sales isn't sexy, but it's what yeah. needs to happen. Yeah, I, I agree too. Mm. So what's uh so what's coming up for next for you and and your company more more esports <laughs> more esports okay <laughs> so uh, today we are doing some 
for for now we are doing some development in like in the back end of our website you know mm-hmm. so uh, i'm really like a tech guy so i'm really enjoying this year because we're doing a lot of things and to how can i say we wanted to 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 create more things for the content you know we wanted to um, to do some how can i say we wanted to to make the experience of our users in our website better. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we are creating a lot of things in the background of the website, and I'm really excited to release it. Yeah, good, good. I, I'd yeah. um like to get your thoughts as well, actually. Did you see the article about Intel partnering with Manchester City to provide 360-degree replay, sport replay? Oh, I didn't, I didn't saw that this much as I see. Yeah, and I think it's it's similar to um, it's it's similar to you know providing new experiences like you were saying, and I find that it's it's almost traditional sports learning from esports, right? Like if you're watching a Dota two or a League of Legends replay, you can pause at any time, you can zoom in, you can see it from any player's perspective that you wish, um, you know, or from team perspective and such, and okay. um. I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, maybe another topic. If you have some thoughts on that, is is how can traditional sports learn from esports and implement some of our cool digital things that we do that they don't yet know how? Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Yeah, mm. uh, I really think like um, it, it's it's we, we have the two ways, you know. The esports need to to learn a lot of things with the traditional esports. And mm. maybe we have some things that we, we, we should we should teach, right? For the traditional mm. esports. I don't know, maybe a lot of uh as you said, like we 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 were born in digital, right? Mm. So the traditional esports, they are becoming digital now. They are they, they, they are adapting to the digital. So we already are born this way, right? Yeah. We are already digital. So I think we, we, we are more evolved in, if you're saying the digital part of thing. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Look, there's so many, there's obviously so many things that we can learn from traditional sports about, you know, sales and business and, and growing a fan base and activating on them because there's, you know, so many billion dollar companies that are only in sports and, and nothing else. But I think that, um, you know, as the esports industry progresses and becomes more professional, Traditional sports can learn a lot from us. Things about broadcast, about replays, about fan yeah. engagement, about digital, um, you know, keeping things online. Even think about the Olympics. You can barely stream the Olympics anywhere. I remember, um, you know, the Olympics, um, the last one I used to play a lot of volleyball and the only way I could find how to stream it was like an illegal Russian website. Um, okay. that, you know, it gives you, gives you pop-ups and tries to feed you viruses <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't have a TV plugged in, um, to you know, to an antenna to watch, and I, I didn't have the possibility to do that because I was in a shared house. Yeah. So in, you know, even just things like that. In, in Brazil, in the Brazilian football, we already had some teams that they refused the TV rights. You know, mm. uh, the TV they refused to sell their rights for for the TV, mm-hmm. and they just stream in YouTube. You know, okay, yeah, we are okay. streaming YouTube our game. <laughs> They have a really good results and they have like their own gesture and stuff. And they just made a stream of their game and a lot of fans were, were watching. And mm. the thing is they can just sell this for a sponsor, you know, 
they can just start doing in this way, sell sponsors, and maybe they will got more money than selling for the TV, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And on the flip side, um, it's it's interesting to see, like, um, I think it was the Los Angeles Lakers, or it was a very famous NBA team that someone posted on Twitter the other day, saying that no matter how big your team is, if you don't pay serious attention to digi- to your digital platforms, they don't perform. And it was one of these NBA teams, and their YouTube, every video has under a thousand views. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, and they've got you know they've got players with you know, 4 million Instagram followers a piece yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. But um, it, it just goes to show that, you know, no matter how famous you are, if you don't put a lot of effort into your content and you don't promote it to your fans, people aren't going to find it and they aren't going to watch it because there's so much content today. You know, yeah. like why would I watch a League of Legends final when I could watch 30 hours of Netflix <laughs> nonstop yeah, yeah. On, on a new season, you know, so you're, you're always fighting for attention. So it needs to be something special. Yeah, I understand. And uh, I agree with, with, with this. So, hmm. and this is, this is, is another thing that we're talking about, right? The, 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 the traditional sports need to learn with the sports team, right? Hmm. And I just, I just, I just, uh, if, if you look for some YouTube channels for traditional sports teams, they really look that look like, looks like they just don't know what they're doing, right? <laughs> they're just hmm. like in another environment that, they're not familiar with. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And one one last question um, I wanted to ask you that came up recently is, you know, for those people listening, um, Dota 2 has the single biggest prize pool for a single tournament in esports. Yeah. They had a, a 35 million USD tournament or 34.6 or thereabouts. And all of that money except for 1.6 million was actually raised by the community through in-game purchases. Um, and if you made an in-game purchase that was through the compendium or relevant to this finals, 25% of the money you spent in-game goes to the prize pool and the developer keeps 75%. So that means that they raised somewhere around $32, $33 million for the tournament from the community and kept $70, $75 million themselves to run the tournament and also as a profit. So... You know, League of Legends, they don't do a compendium. They've got yeah. um, many, many more players than Dota 2. They announced that their peak is 8 million concurrent players. The peak for Dota 2 is like 800,000, so they've got 10 times more players. Do you think that League of Legends should do a compendium? And, and if they do, are we looking at a $150 million tournament or larger? Man, it's like Riot should do so many things, and they are, they are, they are not doing right now. Uh, it's crazy to talk about, right? Uh, mm. It's like they, they should do a compendium or maybe some kind of battle pass and boost the the boost the tournament price as mm. the, the same way Dota do, does, right? And also they they really should uh, learn with Epic Games in Fortnite, right? Like mm. you, you you go to Fortnite and you have a, a Batman skin, you have a ton yep. from Marvel skin, you know. Why don't we have those skins in League of Legends? Just go to Marvel. Yeah. Hey, Marvel, let's build a skin together. We both we want a lot of money, and Marvel, okay, let's let's do that. And it's it's really crazy. Like if you wanna if you are a Fortnite uh, Fortnite fan, if you wanna if you wanna have a cup, 
for a Fortnite cup, a Fortnite, I don't know, a Fortnite bed, a Fortnite, mm. you know, a Fortnite t-shirt, a Fortnite um, <laughs> yeah. stock and stuff, a Fortnite shoe. You have this. You have. You have a Fortnite yeah. Lego, you know? You have all the Fortnite things, toys and stuff to, to play with and to, to, to put in your house. And we don't have this in League of Legends. So mm. why, why we don't, it's really crazy. You know, uh, why, why you don't like have, I don't know, underwears with League of Legends characters, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a really, uh, it, it's really crazy why Epic games just made this so quickly and Riot didn't. So I think mm. like Riot games has tons of things to start doing and they really should start learning with those companies, start learning with Valve and start learning with App Game. And the same way App Games and Valve should learn some things with League of Legends, right? Uh, Riot mm. Games just released that they are doing some skins with Louis Vuitton. Did you see this? Yes, yeah. So they are learning. I think they are learning, you know? <laughs> they, are, they, they are learning with App Games, I think. And... I agree with you. They they should do something like Valve does with the the international. Yeah, look, you've you've kind of said everything <laughs> there, really. Like any game developer should be looking at Epic Games to see the ways that they interacted with um, pop culture and the ways that they interacted with um, influencers better than anybody else has at all. Yeah. Except yeah. except maybe Apex Legends on their launch, they did very well getting streamers to play their game. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, the supporter creator codes that they're, or every influencer is pushing that, like they do with G Fuel, who's also done a great job of this. Um, you know, in ensuring that influencers are playing in pro am tournaments, that a lot of the esports tournaments are less esports and they're more influencer. Like, you know, great because it's what the community wants. You know, give them what they want. Um, there's these latest skins, you know, there's constant updates to the game, new things coming out, exciting things, changes happening, changes being reversed when the community gets upset at them like they're bound to do, um, and, you know, keeping active with everything that's happening. And then funneling just a very small portion of that money into an esports tournament, which was, for them, a small amount of money is $100 million, which is crazy. But they're just doing they're doing so well. And is yeah. Whether you like or hate Fortnite, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on what the game is. You have to respect it because it's done so much for the industry in what I call it like the great equalizer. Anytime I go into a meeting with any company, they know Fortnite because their son yeah. plays it, their nephew plays it, their granddaughter plays it. You know, they all they all know it. So it's a, I feel like it's a great equalizer and I feel like it's the more public Minecraft because all their kids play Minecraft as well. They just never talk about it. And it's the next step up from Overwatch. You know, Overwatch was the baby version of this. I feel like that's what started to break things down to the mainstream. You know, you'd hear some kids talking about League of Legends on trains and things as well. That That's another one. But Fortnite is the, is the real great equaliser here. It's it's really what's brought gaming as a whole to the mainstream. Yeah, I really like it how Epic Games is doing this with the pop culture and stuff. They are really building some examples. And I hope... A lot of other companies just follow this, you know, because Riot can monetize so much more from their fans, you know. They yeah, can like yeah. monetize so much more. It's crazy. So I really think Epic Games is doing that. And Riot Games are looking for Epic. And okay, this guy, th those guys are doing like a really good work. And we should just learn it about it. Those, 
about it, right? Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. Well, mate, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast today. For the people listening, um, where can they follow you online? Uh, my Twitter is uh, ericcat underline LOL. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, I wanted to apologize about my English. I'm really trying to improve, but sometimes it's just blanket. For, so sorry about sometimes. And if I say some word in a really strained accent. <laughs> That's fine. You did very well. Look, for me, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and my coach is from Brazil. So your your English is great and, and I'm quite used to the accent. So Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thanks thanks so much for joining me today, Eric. And, and thank you to the listeners for listening into the podcast. For any of the show notes of what we talked about today, links to Eric or his company, uh, make sure you also check us out on all of our social media platforms, which is Big Esports underscore GG, or myself, at Smithy Mayo. I'm now on TikTok as well, so if you want to see me doing some silly things, you can go check me out there. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 